The greatest uh, event in all of history uh, is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the Lord three days hence. It is by far uh, the greatest thing that ever happened in the annals of history. I mean, if you take a few of the things that uh, you might uh, try and, and put side by side and compare with those two events, uh, it shows that those events pale by almost uh, gross insignificance, as great as they may be in our hearts and mind, and many of them are. I mean, as, uh, as I thought about it, I thought about the American Revolution, there in Philadelphia in 1776, and the signing of the Declaration of Independence. What a great thing. What an experiment in human history. That uh, is a most wonderful thing for sure. But I say to you that in the few shakes of life, the three score and ten maybe, or the Ad Michigan we talked about last week, you have 25,000 days. What are you going to do at the end of it? If you're even aware that you're aware. You're going to clutch on to a copy of the Declaration of Independence. You're going to hold the Constitution of the United States, the Bill of Rights. We love the First Amendment, right? It won't do you any good at that point, will it? As great and as a privileged as we are as a people to live in the land of the governance that we have, it's insignificant by comparison to the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and, a, and an atonement that was accomplished there. And three days later, given proof of that, declared Son of God with power. What about landing on the moon? That July day in 1969, I, I had the joy of watching that Sunday afternoon. It was incredible. We thought, this is amazing. This is amazing. Sitting in our living room and we're watching Neil Armstrong walk down the ladder, take that small step, and he's bouncing around on the moon. That was a great day. And it captured the, the imagination of many of us. Some of you went into engineering and, and other things because of that, I'm sure, in and, and the uh, development of math and science and, and all that's come out of that. And we go like, that was really a red-letter day. But I say to you at the end of it, how does that compare to what was accomplished at Calvary and proven three days later when he came back to life again. It's insignificant by comparison. The book tells us not only did that one make uh, the stars, but he is the maker of that moon that Neil Armstrong walked on and bounced around. Oh, I would have liked to have been an astronaut. How about the ability to fly? The Wright brothers go down to Kitty Hawk and you'll see a little museum in, in their honor. These old Dayton, Ohio boys that owned a, a bicycle shop and, and played around with the gadgets. They were the ultimate gadget guru, like Mark. He's a, he's a gadget guru. And they made an airplane out of bicycle parts. That's pretty good, you got to admit. And then to actually take off and to soar for that over, uh, over was it over one minute there, even, uh, and so on. And now we hardly think about it, right? We complain that we got to take our shoes off. I join you with that. When we go through, <laughs> through to make sure there's no bomber on there and all the rest, and we get on our plane and, and uh, we whiz off here and there, and wow, it's incredible. You think about it. Just do a flashback to Nebuchadnezzar and all his splendor. Imagine him watching a 747. What is, I'm the great king, what is that? And we, <laughs> that's a great thing. Something heavier than air going through the air. 
at great speeds. Great event. But when you come to the end of your life, what is that? For us in our family, we had loved ones die far away from where they would have their service and be buried, and their body was placed in a casket and put on one of those airplanes. But because of the cross and the resurrection made all the difference in that family of mine as we celebrated what would soon be, be all because of Jesus. And how about medicines? And on and on we go. The polio vaccine. How about penicillin? You know, we think about that. Not too many years ago, south in, in Gettysburg with, uh, with that three-day battle there at Gettysburg, and thousands of, of the men died. I mean, they had piles there of limbs they cut off. No antibiotics, sulfa drugs and the like, cauterizing with steam. We go like, and that's like how long ago? Not long ago when you think of human history and we go like, I think I need some antibiotics and I shoot this and that and this and how about a Z-Pack and that? And you know, we like, we live in that world. It's a great thing, really. But there comes a day where, you know, like we've given him everything and he's not responding. And then what do you do? As great as antibiotics? Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, the greatest event hung between heaven and earth, and bore the wrath of God for your sin and mine, if you trust him as your own. And then prove that God accepted that. And everything he said, he, he was raised on the third day. I say to you, it was the greatest event that ever happened. You know, through the centuries, and I have on your sheet, there have been powerful sermons proclaiming the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, even as Ron uh, intimated in his testimony, this is the real reason that we meet on Sunday. The church, I mean, how do Jewish people raised in the Sabbath, that Saturday, all of a sudden start gathering on what they called the Lord's Day. It was an enormous event. It was the vacating of the tomb of Christ. And every Sunday on that first day of the week, they gathered in commemoration, in celebration, and in worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not here. He's risen just as he said. It's the real message of every Sunday sermon, or it should be. Now, I'm sorry to say there are many pulpits in this land that no longer preach that. It's a shame. That's why there's a need to always plant and start churches. The tendency is downward. All of a sudden, we forget Jesus. We lose our Bible. We lose the hope of the resurrection. And then we wonder why, and bit by bit, nobody's here anymore. Well, people figure it out, right? There's no message Every sermon ought to include, at the very heart of it, the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection. That's what it's all about. It's not a side story. It's the main event. Well, did you know that Jesus preached his own Easter sermon? Did you know that? Maybe you never thought of it like that, but he did. It's remarkably true. Standing before his disciples in his resurrected body, in the text that we read earlier, he proclaimed in his message his own resurrection. Now, Luke is the only gospel account that includes this, and he does so, and it's rather amazing. In Luke's Gospel 24, verses 44 through 48, we're going to just quickly note in the few moments that we have here four elements of this sermon 
There are four elements that come screaming to us from Jesus in the sermon, calling us to respond in obedience to this victor over death. It is the ultimate victory. Dare I say greater than a Super Bowl victory that was elusive to the Buffalo Bills for four straight years, and they never got the ring? And the Steelers have gotten a ring a bunch of times in New England and others. But that pales by the victory that Jesus accomplished. The victor over death in the grave. Wow, there are four elements. Well, the, and it's quickly. Let me just give it. The four elements are this. As we look through the, uh, we're going to discover his message is biblical. We're going to discover it's Christ-centered. We're going to discover it's evangelistic. And we'll discover it's missionary. Now, if you got that, you can leave now. Nobody's headed to it. Well, that's good. Let's continue. Jesus' sermon was biblical. In other words, the text was from the entire scriptures of the Jews, from their entirety. In verse 44, And then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, that's the first five books, and the prophets, that's the rest except for the Hebrew poetry, and the Psalms, that's the Hebrew poetry section of the Old Testament, must, it was of divine necessity, must be fulfilled. Everything that was said about me. And so Jesus' sermon is, first of all, biblical. He is proclaiming the resurrection, his own. He's standing here in front of his disciples. He is standing in the long line of men and women, but men in pastoral offices who have proclaimed the gospel through the centuries. And here standing at the very front of the line, preaching the resurrection in his resurrected body, is the Lord Jesus. I mean, you think about it. Uh, the men through our time were familiar with Peter, the apostle. He preached it. Stephen did before he died. Paul does all the way through. Augustine, Luther, Calvin, Edward, Spurgeon, on and on and on it goes. The, the men that preach the resurrection that stand in this line of which at the very front is Jesus, preaching his own resurrection message. And in my own life, as I thought about the men that preached it and built into my life, I was amazed when I began to think how many of them are already in heaven. I was saved under the ministry of Leo Griffin there in the greater Buffalo, New York area when I was a young boy. And Pastor Griffin uh, was taken Home probably 20 years ago. A little white-haired, thin man with a, with a blue suit all the time. Looked, looked impeccable all the time. A hanky waver. He'd wave and he'd cry and preach and plead. Dear blessed man that loved his people in heaven. And then he was followed by a missionary that turned pastor, Orlin Wilhite. Pastor Wilhite had been in the Philippines for 15 years in, in different islands, and each year he planted a church in rural places. 15 churches. Incredible. I don't know how that's humanly. It isn't. Supernatural. And God, he had an illness. He came back to the States. And in my high school years, he preached uh, and was pastored to the church. And, uh, and in probably 15 years ago, maybe more, God took him home. He's buried out in Iowa. And then uh, I thought of a couple of others. 
uh, uh, Tommy Thomas, my professor, pastor in Scranton, and some of you sat under his ministry. He's in heaven. Jim Andrews, my family's pastor up there in the chapel in the greater Buffalo, New York area. Uh, he died the same year that Jim Boyce died. Go on. All these men that stand in this line proclaiming the resurrection, but they stand in a line that begins at the very first with the Lord Jesus standing up there and proclaiming his own resurrection to the men here in our text. Well, the sermon is biblical. It's taken from the entire text. He begins by, A, reminding the disciples that he would tell them what he had been telling them. These are my words. Now, how many times when you look at the gospel, he's going like, I must needs go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be killed. And on the third day, I'm going to rise. And they're like, it's like this, right? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. But who's the greatest here? You know, it's like, what is going on here? This is a complete disconnect. Now, I've spent some years in the classroom, and when you're teaching, and all of a sudden, and you're moving along, and you think the class is moving with you, and, and then they ask a question like, <coughs> uh, when's lunch? You know, like, you, <laughs> you just poured your heart out, right? On, on some, can we go outside and uh, play soccer? You know, like, <laughs> are you with me here? You know, I'm, I'm going to die here. And it, it was like, it was a complete disconnect. And he's going to remind him now. He's standing. He said, remember, these are the words I said over and over and over and over again. Here's a text if you want to write. In Luke 9, 22, you'll see that he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be killed, and raised the third day. These are my words. But now, now, after the events of the crucifixion, three days later, the resurrection, now they're ready to hear it. Things were different now as they stood in his presence. So Jesus and B unfolds the Old Testament scriptures, the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms, and that was shorthand for saying the Old Testament as we think about it. Uh, this uh, reminds us in, verse, uh, in, in the text that uh, uh, as he began to teach this, uh, that uh, it all pointed to him. Uh, it, the, all the Old Testament, uh, as, uh, as the word of God was given, that behind it, in the shadows, and more directly and even direct, the scriptures pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. It was all about him. You know that song we sing, it's not about me, it's all about you, Jesus? That, in a way, in a wholly different other theme, that's what the Old Testament means. To know the Old Testament is to know Jesus. To know Jesus is to know the Old Testament. And if you want a crash course, just read the book of Hebrews and you go like, oh, wow, it's filled with Old Testament and it keeps pointing to the superiority of Jesus and to the picture of Jesus and the typology of Jesus in the Old Testament, in the sacrificial set. He's the greater Moses. He's the greater Elijah. He's the greater David. He's the glorious son of God, the greater Abraham. He's son, not servant. He's glorious. He's great. It all points to him. John 5 Verse 39, uh, the word testifies of me. And so he simply takes them through a Bible study class of the Old Testament, and he shows him the Lord Jesus. Similar to the same lecture on the road to Emmaus that happened just a few hours earlier. Well, everything written about him must be fulfilled. Must be. His life was governed by the promises and the prophecies of the book of books. Beginning in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman, and working its way all the way through. 
Jesus' sermon was biblical to the core. But it was more than that. It was Christ-centered, as we see the text in verse, uh, uh, verse 45. He writes, These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed. Now it's Christ-centered. It's biblical. It's all the text that they had. He's showing them himself. Now, in the midst of it, it's Christ-centered. It focuses on his death in resurrection. There's some in pulpits today and that would teach through the media that Jesus was a teacher and a good example. And, oh, it's a shame what happened to him. No, that's completely wrong. He uh, is the blessed Lamb of God, the promised seed, the glorious Son who was foretold and planned from the found, before the foundations of the world. At that exact moment, he should come into the world, live those many days, and on that exact day be offered up as the living sacrifice for our sin, your sin and mine. That's why he died. He wasn't a politician that got run over by the, the crowd and the mob because they wouldn't have him. He was of the wrong political party. No. Was he a good man? Of course. He lived the life that you and I should have lived. He died the death you and I deserve to die. But he is our sin substitute, took your place in mine. He died that we might live. That's why he died. And that's what he's reminding. Remember these words I spoke. He walks through the Old Testament. Then he points out that it's about, it's all about, it's not about you, it's not about the things in your life, it's about him. His death and his resurrection are the two basic facts of the gospel of what he proclaimed. Jesus, A, opens their minds to understand the Scriptures. This reminds us that the Bible is a spiritually discerned book. We need God's help to rightfully understand it. It is far more than a mere academic exercise. We need God's help. He opened their minds. Listen, don't, uh, don't ever be surprised when people have trouble understanding the gospel. We see it all the way through the Gospels here with the disciples prior to, to their salvation, prior to the cross. Even now, they're like trying to put the pieces together, and the text tells us the Lord miraculously opened their minds. And they began to see. You see, they, they needed the Word. And the Lord went over and over and over and over again with the Word. It's a faith comes by hearing. Hearing is the, through the Word of God. It's the Word of God. And it's the illumination of the Holy Spirit that causes you to have a aha moment. Have you ever had that? You work with a problem sometime, and you go like, this is driving me crazy. Right? And you go like, uh, if you're like me, I, I, I mean, I almost, I cry, Lord, I'm stupider than stupid. You know, I need your help, please. And, 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 and a lot of times, a lot of times I go to bed and, and try and toss and then sleep, and I don't know what happens, but I'll get the answer in the middle of the night. I used to have a tablet near me to write it down because I'll remember it. You won't remember it. 
You, want, you get an aha moment, answer, and oh, that's the solution. Maybe I'm studying a text. Maybe it's a project I'm working on. I almost did that Friday. Isn't it amazing how early we're cutting the grass now? I cut the guy's face, kept looking at it, said, boy, it's getting longer there. I said, well, it's Friday. Good, good Friday in the morning. I'll cut the grass. You know, the first time you start the lawnmower after the, it's been sleeping all winter, that thing doesn't want to wake up. Have you ever, you got that problem? You, you probably get yours tuned up, right? You're like, <laughs> you're like my neighbor, you know. Or you have a button, uh, there it goes, starts. I almost was on the garage floor on my knees. 30 minutes, Lord, I'm going to die here trying to start. I disconnected the thing. I'm going like, I'm like, Lord, hell, I'm like, and then the Lord started. It was just amazing. I thought, they say you're supposed to use fresh gas. Is that the secret? Talk to me later if you have an idea on that. <laughs> that's, yeah. Maybe that's it. Yeah. But it was an aha moment for starting alone. Have you had aha moments when, when you study the Word like that and you're like, um, Someone shared with you a first time Christ, and you go, well, what's all this about? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. And they, you got to read the Gospel of John. A lot of times they'll say that. And it's so different because people say, well, why do I start like three quarters of the way through the book? Don't we start at the front? You know, and a lot of people do that, and they get to like Exodus 13, and like, oh, I'm going to die. They don't, I, they don't have an aha moment. They, they don't see you. They've not. Have, how about that? I had that. When I first heard the gospel, and my mother was nurturing that in my life, my pastor was preaching, my Sunday school teacher, and I'm going like, well, what's this? I'm a, what? I'm a sinner? Yeah, I'm a, I, I know that. Yeah, I agree with that. No problem there. Well, what's this now? Hell? What's that? You, know, you don't want to go there? No, I don't. No, no. What's the altar? Oh, heaven. How do you get there? Oh, Jesus. And, and it's like, you, you know how it is. You remember? Some of you are saved. A lot of you. You, you know, you go like, and it, it wasn't like, hey, I got that boom. Some, God opens your heart quickly. Some of you, it was maybe several years. Some of you are still waiting, and we're praying. God, draw you to Jesus. So you have an aha moment, and you finally go like, I see it now. Oh, Lord, you're so patient. I could have died here and gone to hell, and and you, you, you waited so patiently. You're drawing me, and you opened my eyes. You know, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, uh, the eyes of the heart of men and women who do not know Christ, they're blinded. They can't see the glorious light of the gospel. It's a supernatural opening up, and God draws, he illumines, he uses his word. Jesus did that here as he's preaching himself. These things are spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit. He cannot know them. It's it's the work of God to open our heart and to produce new birth in dead souls. That was my soul and yours before you came to Christ. And if you're not in Christ now, your soul is still dead. You need to come to Christ. Sin's our problem, and dullness is the result of it. Duller than dull. You ever cut wood with a dull axe? you got to work about five times as hard. Not sharp. That's the dullness of sin in the in a lost man or woman's life. It it, it just the, your acuity gets. It's like turning the dimmer light down, and you're stumbling about in the darkness. And we all know it because we're all so messed up, even on this side of salvation. And God is drawing us bit by bit by bit to be more like Himself. We're dull. That's the effect of sin. Read Romans one. We need help. 
This, and this made all the difference in the disciples when they had their eyes open. Well, B, Jesus preached the scriptures. He presents himself and his work until they got it. God promises to work through his word. People need more of the word, not less of it. And so Jesus preached, the text says, for, for Christ, he preached himself, standing in his resurrected body, uh, from Moses he preaches, from the prophets, from the Psalms, like, like what would be a sampling. I have it on your sheet. Exodus 12, be the Passover lamb, the lamb that passed over. When I see the blood, you're safe in the house. That's Passover. That's, he was crucified on the exact day that the Passover lambs were being slain in Israel. Now, isn't that a coincidence? Think about that. Well, that was lucky. Well, that was fortunate, wasn't it? Well, it was the divine plan of God. That Passover lamb was pointing to a greater lamb, the Lord Jesus. How about Leviticus 16? The, the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, one day of year, the sacrifice whose blood was sprinkled, sprinkled on the mercy seed. How about Isaiah 53, the prophet? The Savior would be stricken, smitten, afflicted, wounded for our transgression. How about Psalm 22? That's the, the hymn of the cross. They parted his garments. And, uh, and all the talk there uh, at the cross there in, in David's Psalm 22, wherever he turned, Jesus preached his sufferings and his death. He said, remember, I told you that. I told you, I told you. And again, I say to you, don't be surprised as you bear witness to your friends and acquaintances, and you ought to, that they don't get it. They're, it's not that they're stupid. You know, a lot of folks say, well, how come they don't get it? They're stupid. Don't they see it? You know, Christ came forth. There's a heaven and hell. Life is short. You better be ready. They don't get it. Well, here's a tip. People love their sin. They love their sin. And they don't want to turn from that. It's Romans 1. It's Romans 3. And, and unless God opens their heart and draws them, they'll never be saved. They're dead in trespasses and in their sin. And so Jesus proclaimed his, his, his death. But he more than that, see, he proclaimed his resurrection. Well, where would he have done that? Let me give you a sample. Maybe Exodus 3 at the burning bush where the Lord Jesus in the spring incarnate, the, the bush that's on fire there, and Moses standing, take off your shoes for the ground you're standing is holy ground. And he says, he is not the God of the, of the dead, but the God of the living, Abraham, the, uh, Isaac, and Jacob, who were long gone, and yet they're alive. And Jesus was their God. How about Jonah 1.17? Jonah, three days in the belly of the fish. And Jesus says, that's the, that's the only sign you're going to get. An unbelieving Israel. We want a sign! We want a sign! You know, he's putting on the show. Raising the dead and all that because their hearts are so hard. We want a sign! Here's the sign you get. Three days and three nights, says Jonah. So shall it be with the Son of Man. Three days. Jonah. Jonah was a picture of Jesus. How about Psalm 16.10? How about David writes, You'll not abandon me to the grave, nor will I uh, see corruption. Of course, the apostles used that in Acts in presenting the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, uh, Jesus' sermon is biblical. It's from the Old Testament, all parts of it. It's Christ-centered, this gospel he's proclaiming, focused on his death and his resurrection. And, and third, we see it's evangelistic in verse 47. Look at, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. You see, uh, it was evangelistic. Uh, it, uh, it calls 
us to repentance. The gospel is more than a set of facts. It is factual. There was a death on a cross. There was a tomb that was empty. It's built on facts, facts that would stand in a court of any uh, court of law. But it's more than a set of facts, you see. There, there are things that we must know, of course, but there is more. There's something that you must do. You see, Christ died. wasn't just a blank check for all people everywhere. Most people like the crowd. No, we won't have him. We want Barabbas. We want something else. You see, you must, you must believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something to believe. There's someone to receive. As God opens your heart and you recognize that you're a lost sinner deserving of the fires of hell, and you come to understand the so, so great love of God that he would find the only way of escape for us in sending his own son, made in human likeness and human flesh, to be the sin-bearing atonement, to provide the only way of escape. There's only one way out. And what he does is he does a finished work. It is a greater than Rembrandt. And don't go messing up Rembrandt's. You're going to touch it up. He needs a little help over here. I'll get my paint by number and go over. They'll arrest you. And you will be... Don't try and touch it up. It's a finished work, this atonement of Jesus. You can't add to it. Don't try and be good. It's Jesus and me. I'm just trying to be good and keep the golden rule. You can't do it. You're filled with self. You love yourself. We're born that way. I love myself. It is only Christ that delivers us through the gospel. And so it's not, he's going, well, Christ died, and Terry, you were a pretty good guy. Wait, you know, you're, you're this and that, maybe, no, no. Okay, we'll let him in. No, it's a finished work. Tetelestai. It is finished, he said on the cross. Victory. And so what do we do? Well, what is saving faith then? It was something we must do in the text. He's saying repentance. Well, what is that? Well, how are we saved then? With faith is simply opened, outstretched hands. We receive as a gift, paid for in full, we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Lord, I once was blind. I once was lost. I, under judgment, rightfully so, I come to understand that you died for me, and, and I receive Christ as my Savior. And if uh, you're at that point, and God is changing you, He's producing new birth in you, and the fruits of it are your faith. The very fact that you now have faith, that's the gift of God. And repentance, they're the fruits of being saved. Unsaved lost people don't do that. Repentance means to turn from sin. Repentance is to leave the things we love before. And to show that we are in earnest grie grieving by doing it no more. Striving in that. Lord, help us. Deliver us. Some it's instantly. Some it's a long time as God gives us victory and changes us. Wow, it's an evangelistic sermon. He calls for a, a response. It's part of the Easter sermon. God is merciful. We, we need to know that Jesus died and rose again, but we, we, we need to know what the, those facts mean and respond in a believing way. For ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, remember that? Ever since they sinned in the garden, then they went hiding, and we do that. We're good hiders. We hide. We hide from each other. We hide from God, or so-called. 
And what's God saying? Adam, where art thou? Adam, where? I'm hiding. And God came a-calling, calling for repentance. He was going to deal with that, care for that, and the shedding of blood and the animal skins. You remember that? Ever since that time, God has been calling men and women to repentance. Isaiah 55, 7, Isaiah wrote, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous is. We must do something. The proper way to respond to this resurrection sermon of Jesus is to repent and believe the gospel. And the word is, uh, Jesus, and you will be forgiven. Isn't that forgiveness of sin? Isn't that word forgiven so great? Released. Released. It's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a monetary word. Uh, you, you ever uh, have uh, any kind of financial debt? Yeah, I've noticed that our country's in financial debt. So, have you read that? It's all the time. We hear about five trillion. What in the world is that? And sometimes you get in debt. The easy ones. I remember when we first married, we bought a car, and, and it was like thirty-six easy ones. You remember that? You know that? I learned uh, at that point. There's. I never made an easy one. There's no such thing as that. And you come to the end, and hopefully you get it paid off before the car falls apart. In those days, it was a bigger problem, right? Especially Buffalo winters and all that. You're like, yeah, yippee, we're free. That's the idea. It's released, released from the debt of our sin. Do you know that? You know, somebody said in, in most mental hospitals, the uh, doctor once said, half, of my, half this place could be emptied. If people here believe that they can be forgiven of the things that they've done, or if they could forgive the things done to them, open the doors and the people would just file right out. I'm telling you, it's the greatest thing. We're like scoundrels. You know, like, oh, wretched man that I am, who should deliver me? And, and we uh, come to understand the cross, and God saves us, and he goes like, oh. You mean it's all released? Yes, as far as the east is from the west, it's separated. You mean when I stand before God, he doesn't see the, the wicked person? He, no, he sees us through Jesus, his son. Released and set free. Well, it's evangelistic message. And finally and last, it's a missionary message, isn't it? It's a missionary. Verse 48, he, he said, And you are witnesses of these things, and, and uh, 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 beginning in Jerusalem, and I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then they went out into all the world. And Jesus closes this message saying, look, it's missionary. He calls us to carry the gospel to all people everywhere, to all the nations. That's God's plan from the beginning. Go and tell. Go and let the light of Jesus radiate. Go and tell others about Jesus. Tell the facts. Just the facts. Hey, there was a cross one day. Yeah? What happened there? Hey, then there was an empty tomb there. Yeah, people need to know. People don't know the Scripture. People don't know. They think that Easter, you know, most people, if you just ask them on the street, hey, my pastor gave me an assignment. I'm supposed to ask what Easter means to you. We had some wonderful testimonies. Thank you, Larry, Paul. Thank you for that. But, well, they're like, well, isn't it chocolate rabbits and colored eggs? Uh, no. Well, no, I thought it was back there in Egypt somewhere. And, you know, like, what, what, what's, no. Isn't, no. People don't know the scriptures. 
And you and I are, are little lights that are sent forth by our words and our works and our deeds and our love and the love of God, uh, that we, we would love God and love all others, that they would see the reality of Christ in us, and that we would share Christ. That someone ask uh, uh, the reality of the hope that's within us. Could you tell me the reason why you're different? Oh, thank you for asking. God changed my heart. You see, I, I, I was the worst of sinners. God's changing me. He changed me, gave me new birth. I saw the cross. He paid for my sin. I'm free. Praise God. That was Jesus' sermon. Now, that's something. Standing in a resurrected body. I, I, I bet you could have heard a pin drop. And all the, ah, the aha moments, the lights were turning on. Sometimes you do that. Sometimes you're, I see that, and I wonder if you're thinking of lunch or football. But sometimes you fake me out, and you give me a glow like, hey, I think I connected there. You could, in the, around the room, like, oh, oh, how could we have missed it? Oh, yes, you did. You did oh, oh, it came together. Wow. The Easter sermon of Jesus. No wonder they came to him that day. When they came to the tomb, they, and the, the, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where they lay. Lessons for our life, number one. Number one. Number one. Nope. Oh, it's not up. Okay. Number one, maybe write quickly if you have room. Today we celebrate the greatest day in human history. This is the greatest day. Jesus Christ is risen today. Praise the Lord. You can add to the joy of this day by repenting and trusting in the Lord Jesus. In the quietness of your heart, say, Lord, I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. Thank you for dying for me. I can be of help. Uh, that, I count it the highest privilege and joy to help you, to pray with you. Just as you are. Remember Billy Graham's final song at the end of his uh, conferences? Just as you are without one plea. Number two, the empty tomb of Jesus is mankind's only hope. There is hope nowhere else. It's not in Wall Street. It's not in Washington. It's not in the stock market. It's not anywhere. It's not your abilities. It's not any other world religion or any ism or anything. Only Christ came forth from the grave. He's our only hope. Our certainty, and it's a strong word, hope. This word hope, it means our certainty. He is victor over sin and death. Number three, he accomplished salvation. It's a finished work. You cannot add to it. Don't even try. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. And number four and last, imagine God's promise to forgive us of all of our sins. We are forgiven because he was forsaken. Forgiven. What a glorious thing. Wow. The sermon, the Easter sermon, the resurrection sermon of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you so much for your wonderful word we thank you, Lord, that we have a living message because we have a living Savior. And thank you, Lord, though through the ups and downs in life, the tears and the heartbreak, the loss, the suffering, the pain, and even through the good times, 
We know because of Jesus, the best truly is yet to come. Because you opened death's door and the chains of death fell off you, so we shall follow in your great train as we look forward to life forever with you. We thank you so much for your work at the cross and the empty tomb. In Christ's name, amen.